What's up, everyone? This is episode number 47 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. As I'm sure you've already seen, today's episode is titled The Zion Effect. And this was the week we've all been waiting for. So I'm recording this on Thursday afternoon. I had two screens going last night so I could try and watch the Pacers and Zion's debut at the same time. Um, In a moment of weakness, I even let Zion have the big screen for a couple of quarters. That might even be a great segue to talk about how big he looked, but he's young. He can get in shape. I'm not going to go into that anymore. Um, Now, I don't want to read too much into one game, whether good or bad. The guy's been out a while. He needs to, you know, a little bit of time to get everything in order. And to me, this is also a great reminder that most NBA teams still aren't using the G League very well. They're probably not using it to its full potential. And there's still a bit of negative stigma about playing down a level, I think. They could probably remove that stigma by simply asking those players to play there and really just establishing that culture. Baseball does it all the time. Hopefully the NBA will catch up in the next couple of years. Anyway, I'm sure I'll, I'll probably do a G League pod at some point. But um, we really didn't get the flashy highlights early on with Zion that we were hoping for in the early parts of the game, at least. I was starting to fall asleep and things didn't look so promising, so I went to bed at the end of the third quarter. My Pacers had already demolished the Suns by that point. I watched the end of that game on the big screen. Well, I woke up and did my best uh, Rip Van Winkle impersonation. I didn't sleep through the American Revolution, though. I slept through the Zion Revolution in the fourth quarter. And I had to make sure I was reading my phone correctly when I read that he was now shooting three-pointers. And he hit four straight. So, um, I'm, you know, you've seen it now. He scored 17 straight points in under three minutes. He got his highlight for his debut game. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the hobby. And I'm really interested to see where this thing goes. And these next couple of weeks are going to be especially interesting because everyone has to figure out if they want to hold or sell their Zion stuff. So everyone, you know, we're all going to be watching game two for sure. And I'll talk more about all of that later, but there are already plenty of people chiming in with their advice. They're eager to give it to you. So just watch out. Uh, With that being said, today is my third time really trying to get a a grasp on what Zion's done to the hobby and to the market. And before I begin, I want to emphasize something I said on the show about four to five weeks ago. And that is that nothing in this card world happens in a vacuum. Everything is connected in some way. I want to start by talking about um, just three quick events from this week because I think they're a microcosm of how everything has continued to morph or evolve over the last year. And I'm not, you know, Luke has played a big part in this. I'm not really talking about him today. I do want to make sure I give him his credit as well because in large part it's been the success of Luca and the anticipation of Zion that has worked together and has allowed this whole thing to percolate without any sort of a break. And now it looks like we might even have our first standout rookie of the season in Ja Morant. So things are not going to slow down. But first things first, let me talk about those three hobby events that I referred to. And the first one that I want to talk about today is the first off-the-line release for Crown Royale. I'm not even going to look at the logistics of this set. Um, Is it a horrible set? Not really. There's some nice stuff in there. Um, I thought the silhouettes looked really nice last year. They usually do. 
Like I said before, I'm not going to preview every release on the show. So the only reason I want to mention this product is because of how the first off the line for it is being handled. We've seen a lot of changes in that program over the last month or two. So it looks like we're going back to the good old days, at least for this product, where bots reign supreme. Um, Panini's letting that Dutch oven cool down for a bit and just selling these things outright, albeit at the Zion era price, $150 a box, two boxes per transaction. So um, I really don't know how they determine what releases get what treatment. For right now, I suppose we just make a note of it and we move on. Um, we also got a picture of the physical copy of the blockchain John Morant and Rui Hachimura dual logo man. If you remember, I think I talked about this, the mock-up had a photoshopped sticker on it. Which I don't, you know, what's, what's the point of that? Well, the real thing had it on there as well, which that's definitely more believable. And it looks downright hideous. And this blockchain program has been completely fumbled from the start. I'm not going to harp on it much more than I already have, but the Zion logo man's up this week. That's why I mention it. And after seeing this cruddy looking dual logo man in um, the physical version of it, I'm fairly convinced that this whole thing is Panini's half effort um, attempt to sell a $100,000 Zion Direct. And this is something a friend and I were talking about. You know, think about all the publicity that the sale would generate in non-card circles Outsiders would have no clue how much of a disaster this whole thing has been. And, you know, it would look good for Panini, though. And that's just a theory. But, um, you know, I think it's very likely the case. However, it didn't come to fruition. The last I had checked, the the card was around $70,000 in falling, which kind of surprises me after last night. You know, it only takes one dumb person with a lot of money. Um, Anyway, Um, so I've labeled today's episode as the Zion Effect Part 3. And those of you that have been with me for a long time, you might remember that I recorded parts one and two with Adam in April. This was before Zion was even drafted. At the time, we thought he might become a Nick. Um, You know, I feel like it was a really good discussion that will give you some historical context. So even though we know some of the stuff that's happened since then, um, there is value in historical context. If you haven't listened, it's it's worth checking out. Um, We covered the history of the LeBron hype in 2003. We talked about Ben Simmons and his um, Upper Deck Autograph and Memorabilia exclusive and a number of other things. So as a part of those two episodes, we tried to predict how Panini might handle this kind of hype in 2019 and some of the things they could try. Well, we didn't know that Zion was going to miss the first half of the season, but he's had an unmistakable impact from the sidelines nonetheless. So I want to look back on some of the things we talked about I want to give um, a bit of a Zion hobby review so far and talk more about the realized effect he's already had on the hobby, including something we didn't foresee, uh, major, major lapses in quality control. And then I want to weigh in on um, Zion cards going forward. Okay, so Adam and I kind of talked through some potential scenarios for the year, and I want to try and run through these again and look at what really happened. One of the first things we talked about was custom cards. And last week I discussed six questions that I see on social media. Well, if I had done that episode before the draft, I would have had no choice but to include, should I buy these custom Zion cards? The hype was so big that these things were all over eBay. And it was some of the most random templates too. I think I even saw someone trying to sell some Zion cards that looked like the uh, 87 Topps baseball set, you know, with the wood grain. 
Um, now, having seen this type of stuff before, both of us were very adamant that this um, this stuff shouldn't be purchased, unless you really like it, of course. Uh, well, I was looking at Zion rookies on eBay this week, and this stuff is still showing up. And a lot of it's just people trying to get rid of it. I don't think it's actually selling a whole lot. People are trying to now sell them in lots of 25. They're not worth the paper, the cardstock they're printed on. And we talked about how that would probably happen. There's no definitive print run. And, um, you know, the people that try to unload them on Facebook are laughed at. I am a firm believer in experience costs, though. I've talked about it before. If you bought these and you legitimately don't like these, treat this as a lesson in patience. And if another rookie ever comes along that has similar hype to Zion, you can be there for other collectors to be a voice of reason. If you do like this stuff, though, you know, even though these custom creators don't have the right to print it, if you want, buy away. There's a lot of great deals to be had if you actually do want it. Um, Adam and I also talked a bit about the high-end college flawless and immaculate releases, and he said that they'd sell like crazy. Um, I don't think we predicted a, a draft picks prism, but you know that was something we've seen in other sports, so it was something that probably was predictable. But anyway, he was spot on about the college stuff. Um, we talked about DeAndre Ayton in the solid rookie year that he had. Uh, no one cared about his cards or the Suns last year, which you know people are finally starting to notice, notice Ayton. Um, he is putting up some numbers now. But um, in that episode in April, I asked the question, does team matter? And, and Ayton was our big example there. And uh, you know, at this point, like I said, we thought Zion might end up a Nick. And Adam summed it up well in our chat. He said, if he's really great, it probably won't matter that much. And even though Zion didn't play a single game in the first six months of the season, I think that time frame really helped to clear up any doubts that people might have had. DeAndre Ayton was solid, but he wasn't a transcendent talent. And we don't know that Zion will be for sure, but the prospect of it, and at least seeing that hope of it, proves that while team has some impact, it can't really kill a transcendent value, um, transcendent player's value. And the Pelicans are not a popular team. They don't have the history that a lot of other franchises do. And just looking at this and observing history, this could be valuable information for us in the future because at some point, um, history is likely to repeat itself. Um, speaking of history, Upper Deck made quite a few insert sets and box sets for LeBron in his rookie year. These are pretty much worthless today, um, but I liked them at the time. The LeBron Diaries cards made me feel like I got a hit in every pack back then in 2003, um, even though there were a ton of them manufactured. And Adam and I talked about then the prospect of Panini making a Zion insert set or some kind of box set. We haven't seen that yet. I'm a little surprised by that. I think they missed the boat there. But then again, um, you know, maybe they're aiming higher or they've got this the digital box set in, in the form of blockchain, um, just a very expensive box. But um, you know, maybe they'd rather capitalize on capitalize on it in ways that require less logistics and and just get the whole sum at once. Why create a massive set to to make some money when you can just print a single card that someone will pay a hundred thousand dollars for? Or well, now we know they won't, but potentially they could have. And I criticize a lot of what they're doing at times, but there are buyers out there that enable these sort of shenanigans. Um, all right, so we talked about then the prospect of a manufacturer exclusive. A lot of people are frustrated with Panini, but um, let's imagine if Upper Deck actually did get an exclusive. 
There might not be any blockchain. There wouldn't be any RPA in the future. Um, Prism, that would probably make that go up a little bit, or there would be some other product that people would have to turn to that's the right combination of desirable and accessible. Um, you know, maybe Panini would be relegated to pulling some Zion fake diamond cards out of the good, good old Dutch oven. You know, we don't know. Um, I thought Upper Deck would make a serious run at him, though, and maybe they did. All of that stuff was kept private, as far as I know. But, um, you know, if Panini couldn't get autographs or memorabilia from Zion, it drastically changes their business model for the entire season. And I think we would still see some of the same chaos, but it might be chaos in the more traditional sense, if that makes any sense. Um, instead, Panini seems to be finding new, um, oftentimes ill-thought-out ways to feed the hype. Okay, so those were all things that we covered we talked about how production would be ramped up quite a bit, but we didn't talk about what seems like an unfortunate side effect of all that, and that's Panini's quality control. And this year, that phrase seems like a bit of an oxymoron. So um, around late November and early December, we had the releases for Absolute and Prism. There was a pretty major goof on the back of the Absolute Rookie Relic cards, and the, the text on them said, the enclosed player worn used material and autograph are guaranteed by Panini America. And there were no autos on the front, so the phrase and autograph was blacked out. Some people said it was done by computers. Some people said it was done with a black Sharpie. I've seen it in person. It's kind of hard to tell. If the latter is the case, you know, I laugh at the thought of some poor intern having to scribble on thousands and thousands of cards. Either way, computer, Sharpie, it looks tacky and sloppy. So it wasn't surprising that Prism would run into its fair share of issues as well. And this was before anyone started slicing them up. Um, I know in past years it's been tough to gauge the centering on some Prism cards because there hasn't always been a um, clear defined border. The 2014 set specifically comes to mind. You know, centering we can probably overlook a little. There are bound to be centering issues in most sets. Um, they wouldn't be the first manufacturer to have those. Well, this year there's a border and some of the centering though... It's not just minor issues. Some of the centering is downright atrocious. Um, it goes beyond the normal variants that we've seen in some of the past Prism sets. And I think I saw one Steve Nash card that wasn't even rectangular. I have no idea how that happens. A couple of other small issues um, in between some of these major goofs. Um, some of them include the stamping on the, the Donruss nameplates, which now we've turned into a hit because let's just celebrate Panini's incompetence. Um, and then also some of the foil stamping on the next day autos. The autos are pretty pathetic because they were stamped after the cards were signed. And a lot of the athletes didn't understand where exactly to sign, and Panini just stamped through a good amount of the autos, which you know seems like there could have been a different solution to that. Um, if one or two of these things were to happen in an entire year, I think it would be excusable. Mistakes happen, but no, the hit's... Um, keep coming. One of the contenders' autos for Fiondu Cabin Gelly, which, by the way, that's that's that guy that none of the breakers can pronounce. Um, so anyway, one of his contenders' autos, it has a Clippers logo, but it's surrounded by the words Phoenix Suns. So you got the two teams side by side. The error there is pretty obvious. Um, then you have a set like Revolution, which I previewed a couple of weeks ago. I posted about this on Instagram already. On the back of the Vortex and the Supernova Galactic Parallels, um, it says Galactic. They left a letter out. Literally the most popular parallel in the product 
and they spelled it wrong on the card. How does this keep happening? Um, you know, I know in response to this, I've had a couple people tell me I should buy other brands like Upper Deck instead. Well, first off, you know, while there's some really high-end and high-quality Upper Deck stuff out there, they had their fair share of goofs as well. And secondly, it's it, very simple. I like cards of players after 2009. So voting with your wallet is tough when there's only one real manufacturer. And a solution I've talked about before is trying to focus on products um, that they do well. But now we're starting to see these goofy errors pop up more and more, and it puts collectors in a really bad spot. Am I going to boycott a product because they spelled something wrong? No. I just wish they'd care a little more. But there's no time for that. They have more cards to pump out. So that's definitely a very unfortunate side effect of this Zion craze. All right. So um, Zion's finally played his first game, and just the anticipation and the excitement of him playing has kept his values up across the board. You think about it. How many players have Prism rookies that sell for over $50 raw? The list is very short. So where do we go from here? And this question or, or some variation of this question has been asked on social media again and again and again since Zion cards started hitting the market. And now everyone's an expert, right? Well, no one knows the perfect strategy. If someone ends up guessing it spot on, you know, at the end of the day, it's still speculation and it's still a guess. So I'm not here to give you an um, investment advice. Every buyer and seller has their own context. Let me give you my example. I don't do the whole build up a big stash of a player's high-end stuff and move it down the road thing, but I do set up at a small sports card show in my area. And there are a lot of uh, a lot more football and baseball collectors than anything else. They don't want high-end rookies. A lot of them want low-end stuff. And it moves very well at my table. So you guys are going to laugh at this because I've said on here many times that hoop sucks. And just for the record, I still think that that is the case. But uh, this past weekend, I bought 10 to 15 Zion Hoops rookies for $4 a piece and 10 to 15 John Morant rookies for around $3 a piece. Um, you know, I'm not going to get rich off of this. But for me, this serves several purposes. Number one, it looks good having a table full of Zion and Ja. And I've tried to do the same thing with Luca. I had um, Hoops Luca rookies last summer that I couldn't move at $5 a piece. Well, then I didn't set up for a show for about six months. I took out my old inventory. I took that $5. I put a one on the front and I moved the rest of them pretty easy. Um, so anyway, you know, that's something that to consider. Um, secondly, I think Zion pieces together a couple of good games, and they probably double or triple. And like I said, I'm not invested a whole lot into this. I don't make a lot off of it, but it pays for my table, and every little bit counts. And, you know, it's kind of fun. I like doing that. Keep in mind, I'm not encouraging you to do that. I'm not saying these hoops cards are valuable. Um, I think they suck, right? I specifically bought these before Zion played, so you wouldn't be able to replicate the same experiment anyway. But that might be something to try in the future just for fun. If you want a, a little low-budget experiment um, and you want to you know, kind of get the ins and the outs of, and the finances of buying and selling and, and timing, that might be something to consider. Um, but there are plenty of people out there that are more than happy to give you their advice on the uh, all the big boy cards. And as always, I encourage you to take anything investment or value related, whether it comes from me or somebody else, with a grain of salt. And I do want to focus on one example that I saw this week. 
I'm not going to name this person. I think they mean well. They put a lot of effort into their content. Um, they advise people to sell their Zion stuff very soon. And that might be good advice. You know, I can't speak to that. I don't know. Uh, I feel like we've waited this long. We might as well see what he's going to do. But there's also the chance he gets hurt again and his values could tank. So I see both sides. But this person said to sell Zion now and then suggested not only that, not only to sell Zion. So really the advice was Zion, but then suggested that people should look at some of his teammates instead and specifically pointed out Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. Now, Kudos to the content creator for this. He was very upfront about the fact that he's big on Lonzo Ball and has invested quite a bit into him. So at least he's trying to be transparent. Um, He said something to the effect of, it's okay, I'm not looking to sell these right now anyway. Well, in my mind, that, that doesn't completely make everything right. And he also, in trying to even things out, he said that the only knock on Lonzo is that he can't shoot but pointed out that he's strung together a couple good shooting performances lately. Well, first off, in my mind, that's definitely not the only knock on Lonzo. You know, what about the fact that he wore Walmart shoes for a while? Or what about the fact that one of his ankles seems like it's made out of peanut brittle? So if I'm watching someone's content and they're advising me to invest in a player and they have five nice cards of that player prominently displayed in the background, I have a couple of things to consider. Maybe they're putting their money where their mouth is and they really believe in this player. Or maybe they bought into this player early on and they don't want to give them up. Maybe it's a combination of both. But anytime you watch or listen to something, including this show, take a step back and think about what you've just consumed. Consider the source. Consider the context. Consider your own buying or or investing situation. And I think that that just overall, not just here, but that overall is a good piece of advice when it comes to approaching Zion and information from here on out. Examine all of the facts. All right, before I close out today, I want to mention something I asked about on social media this week. I'll try and keep this short and sweet. Uh, I'm closing in on one year of the show, and it has been an absolute blast. But there are some operational costs that come along with this thing because hosting a podcast can be kind of expensive. Um, before I ever ask for any money or even planned of doing that, I wanted to show you what type of content you could expect on a weekly basis. I've already explored different fundraising options. I'm not going to go through all of those here. Um, so I ask if people would be receptive to donating with the understanding that they're not going to receive anything additional in return. You know, what you're getting from me, the podcast, the RPA trackers, those sorts of things, that's what you're going to get. And the response was favorable. So here's what I'm going to do. I'd like to at least cover my basic operational costs for last year and then also this upcoming year. So that would be around $350. Now, let's say no one wants to donate. I'm not going to hold the show hostage. I'll continue it as usual. But I like to keep things simple. I figure the easiest way to do this is just to give out a PayPal email. Let me make it clear that I'm not an official 501c charity or anything. You're not going to get any sort of tax break. You're not going to get any fancy receipt. You're just helping me out and helping the show out in the long run. So if you'd like to donate and help me cover my basic cost, my PayPal email is simple. It's waxmuseumpodcast at gmail.com. And obviously this isn't mandatory for anyone. I've already received a donation. I'm very thankful for that. I appreciate anything I can get. 
um, I would be honored if you would choose me over, say, um, 10 or 20 Dollar Tree packs. So once again, that email, if you'd like to donate, is waxmuseumpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, so that wraps up our show for the day. I've talked enough. Now it's time for me to hear from you. Uh, What did you think of Zion's debut? What kind of movement do you think his card prices will have in the near future? What about in the long term? Let me know on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast, or my Twitter, which is at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. <laughs>